welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 124 of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Josh Fletcher who is also known as Anxiety Josh and Josh is a psychotherapist, an author, a speaker and a self-confessed anxiety nerd and he became a therapist after his own challenges with anxiety. He experienced panic attacks, agoraphobia and intrusive thoughts and he's now one of the leading voices in anxiety support and recovery. And in this episode, Josh and I talk about his experiences. We talk about where his particular version of anxiety came from and what he did about it. We talk about the different ways that anxiety can present and we go through some of the different ways that we can deal with it. And we talk about things like exposure therapy and proving anxiety wrong. We talk about compassion and retraining the brain. And it's a fascinating conversation. It really gave me a better understanding about anxiety Josh really knows his stuff and he has a really wonderful way of taking these quite complex ideas and putting them in a way that anyone can understand. And yeah, like I say, I definitely felt I came away from this chat with a deeper understanding of anxiety in general and of my own experiences of anxiety. We talk a lot about where anxiety comes from and what's happening in our body, you know, what's happening to our biochemistry when we experience anxiety and how it works. And I think once you know a little bit more about the mechanics of this stuff and why it's happening and where it's coming from then all the stuff about how to deal with that makes so much sense there's so much so much power in knowing the why you know that really informs the how and I think that's something that really came across from this conversation with Josh he was wonderful to chat to he's very funny like I said he really knows his stuff I can completely see why he's so well thought of and why he's so good at what he does it actually ended up kind of going somewhere I didn't really expect and I had I suppose a a bit of a personal reaction I suppose to the conversation. I really came away with it with a lot to think about. There's been many episodes over the last couple of years where things have really stood out to me and there's been a few where you can almost hear the penny drop when one of the guests I'm talking to says something and it really relates to me and my own mental health journey and everything I'm trying to work on with that. In this episode you don't just hear the penny drop, you hear it clang to the floor and echo around the room (laughs) and uh, like yeah for the last 10 minutes I thought Josh was gonna have to invoice me for a therapy session Um, but yeah it was really cool how he kind of he went along with that and I think a lot of people are gonna find that part of the episode and all of the episode really really relatable because I think the underlying thing with anxiety is that it presents in in different ways. It shows up in different ways. It affects people differently. There's a million different ways that it plays out. But underneath, it tends to be the same sort of stuff that's happening. And yeah, we talk about that in this episode as well. Go and give Josh a follow on social media if you don't already. If you've got an interest in anxiety, you probably already do. But his content's brilliant, at Anxiety Josh on all the usual places. But he gives away a lot of really useful information There's a lot of tips and ideas and education around his content and it's really, really good. There's all the links to that and links to his website are all in the episode notes. 
And from there, you can get hold of his book. You can read more about his courses. You can find more about everything that he does. And I'd highly recommend investigating all of it, particularly if this conversation resonates with you like it did with me. And of course, if you want to connect with me in any way, at Proper Mental Podcast in all the usual places, there's a link in the episode notes to my website as well. If you want to have a bit of a dig around, there's all sorts of links in there. And, and of course, if you've got a minute to leave me a review, I'd really, really appreciate it. iTunes, Spotify, anything like that, it really would be lovely. Anyhow, this is episode 124 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Anxiety Josh. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Josh Fletcher. How are you, mate? I'm all right. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Oh, mate, thank you for uh, for joining me today. Um, we're recording this in March, and I can't believe I'm sort of, this is my opening question, really. But how are you getting on with the snow, mate? Snowing in March, it's uh, it's bizarre, right? Yeah, it's just a bit grim, isn't it? I remember the first day of March, I was like, oh, it was a beautiful day, blue skies. Here we go, the blossoming um of, of of the new days and now it's just i just went outside and it's absolutely trash out there so I was like, <laughs> it's not even proper settling snow it's just sludge and ice and sleet and misery but yeah yeah it's really. the grim bit right yeah but hopefully but, yeah. yeah hopefully it'll pass through pass through soon um i was kind of thinking today what might be a useful jumping in point josh is to kind of put down a little bit of a a baseline about what we mean when we talk about anxiety, because I think that the word means different things to different people. And quite often two people can have a conversation using the word anxiety and they can be talking about two completely different experiences, but using the same word for it. Right. So I thought it's quite a big question. And I think a lot of today we're going to have to talk in quite general, you know, terms, overview terms, but um, yeah, what is, when you talk about anxiety, what is anxiety? What's going on? Okay. As as a therapist who specializes in, in anxiety and anxiety disorders, um, what I'd like to know is, yeah, what, what type of anxiety that you experience? Um, the first thing I'd like to do is separate anxiety into two, first of all. So you've got your conventional anxiety, which is I'm anxious about an upcoming job interview, a driving test, a first date, maybe it's a medical appointment. You know, that's the kind of anxiety that everyone can relate to and everyone gets. It's still anxiety and it's still very legitimate. And the physiological processes of it mirror that of people who have an anxiety problem. Um, but I specialize and focus on the other side of anxiety, which, which is the kind of disordered side. Um, I, I actually like the word disorder because it doesn't mean you're, you know, you're, you're, you're ill or anything like that. It just means things aren't in order. And this is usually when our anxious response is firing off when we don't want it to. Uh, this type of anxiety is characterized by when you have panic attacks, uh, when you struggle with agoraphobia, when you avoid going places because you fear anxiety. Maybe you have intrusive thoughts, some socially taboo and horrible and bizarre. Maybe you obsess about your health to the point where you're Googling for reassurance. Perhaps you've got social anxiety where you're afraid of people's judgment afraid of people's um kind of pushing you away or maybe you're just afraid of conflict 
or, or maybe you struggle with PTSD or form of trauma. Uh, maybe it's complex trauma. Um, I use the word trauma very lightly. It's very overused and watered down nowadays, particularly in the world of social media. But uh, anxiety in terms of maybe you get flashbacks or you become acutely anxious around a certain person or a reminder of a traumatic event. So, yeah, that's the kind of anxiety that I look at. And it's, again, even then in the description, there's different types. But first of all, I'd be like, well, when someone says, oh, I'm anxious, what type of anxiety are we talking about here? I personally take an interest in disordered anxiety because I was diagnosed with um, panic disorder, OCD, generalized anxiety when I was younger. Um, and I'm in a good place with it now. And so part of what I like to do is kind of educate others. Um, and hopefully I can provide some uh, some helpful info on the on, on your podcast um so yeah oh amazing yeah i'm sure right. i'm sure you can uh, yeah i followed you on social media for a uh, you know for a long time i'm a fan of your your content mate yeah this is quite a lot i want to i want to dig into um yeah. but it is kind of i think f- there's a few different types of anxiety that you mentioned there but would i be right in thinking that regardless on the the type of anxiety um it's the same sort of physiological stuff that's happening under the surface or so our, our biochemistry essentially is reacting in a certain way to some sort of per- perceived threat. And the, the type of anxiety is more what that type of threat we're scared of. Is that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So it, we all have the same threat response. Um, it presents differently in different people. So you know, everyone's kind of heard of fight or flight or more commonly known now as fight, flight, freeze or fawn. So some people, when they react to threat, may react to threat and be anxious along with anger. So that'd be the fight. There might be the flight side, which is, you know, I want to run away and and seek safety as soon as possible or seek immediate reassurance. You've got the freeze where a lot of people have panic attacks. They just freeze. You know, you can't notice they're having a panic attack. I've had plenty of panic attacks where people haven't noticed it. I've just frozen in place and like, oof, you know, in terror sometimes. And then you've got the fawn, and these are the people that get uh, are really afraid of um, kind of other people's opinions, upsetting others. They walk on eggshells. They try and people please. They find it difficult to say no. That's all part of the same response. And at the core of that response is you've got the release of adrenaline and cortisol, which makes puts you on edge. It makes your brain scan for dangers. Um, whatever that threat or dangers might be is different to each person. Um, and you've got a multitude of symptoms of anxiety. So some people have, we all have what if thoughts, that's what we can relate to, but some people might react differently with, with their anxiety. So some people might have a racing heart and they feel sick. Some people might freeze and dissociate and feel derealization. So it's like, oh, I feel like I don't feel real. I feel disconnected from myself or the room I'm in. Everything feels weird, uh, which is a very common one. It's called derealization or depersonalization. Um, Some people might have um, chest pains and dizziness. Um, Some people might have feelings of unease, whereas some might feel terror. Some people might feel a bit irritable. Some people might feel like a sense of foreboding. Um. And yes, yeah, so, I mean, I call it the pick and mix. Remember the, do you remember Woolworths pick and mix? <laughs> yeah. So it's like a pick and mix of like how your anxiety presents. And that can change too. One of the most common questions I see on like 
my Instagram or TikTok post is, does anybody else have this as a symptom? You know, because they've got tingling hands or twitching eyes or they're seeing eye floaters or tinnitus or many symptoms of anxiety. But yeah, the, the, the mechanic is the same, Tom. You're right. It just sometimes it presents differently. Yeah. Does that kind of muddy the waters then when it um, comes to people trying to figure out maybe what type of anxiety they've got? Because I think like, there's probably a lot of people out there who maybe think they have anxiety and an anxiety disorder, and maybe they don't. And there's a lot of people who think they don't, and maybe they do because it's quite complex, isn't it? And I'm saying that from my own experience, right? I, um, anxiety is something that I experienced. I had absolutely no idea that what I was going through was anxiety. Um, actually until I started speaking to people on this podcast and so many people would say things, so I was like, crikey, that makes a bit of sense. Um, but yeah, when everyone presents differently, it can kind of muddy the waters, can't it? To try to like, to even know, because we have a very stereotypical view of anxiety. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And, it, but it's not necessarily that, is it? No, I mean, a good way to know if you have not when anxiety has become a problem, and it's up to you whether you want to, whatever you call it, you know, I call it disordered anxiety. I'm not going around labeling people, but you, you know, anxiety is a problem when it dictates a lot of your day, most of your day or most of your week. Um, we all get anxiety. It's fine. You know, it's not, it's a healthy, beautiful response that's needed. It's part of a rationalization process. If we didn't have anxiety or a threat response, we'd be walking into traffic, off buildings, whatever, drinking bleach. I don't know. You know, there's just nothing to stop us from doing that. But when that threat response becomes overly sensitized and it's being triggered um, for the majority of each day, and then you start worrying about the anxiety itself and you start to misinterpret these this threat response, that's when it can become a problem. That's what happened to me. I, I'd wake up this feeling of doom. I then worry about why I felt like that that way. Then I'd obsess and I constantly scan for the signs of anxiety. I'd avoid places because I didn't want to panic. I'd be stuck in this loop of panic attacks and stuff like that. And and that would take up a lot of my week. That's when I know I've got an anxiety problem. You know, are you going to get a couple of days, at least, you know, a year where you, you feel really anxious and overwhelmed? Of course. Doesn't mean you, it's probably because you're really stressed and anxiety loves stress. You know, it, it will kick off as a result of it. But depending on how, however it presents, whether it's completely debilitating to the point where I can't go to work or can't leave my room or it creeps in in the quiet moments when I'm not busy, you know, you can always work with it. And, that's that's the joy of kind of anxiety therapy yeah sure there's um are there any that you've come across in your work and again talking quite broadly i suppose here josh but are there any sort of like quite common underlying factors in people that present with an anxiety disorder i'm trying not to use the word causes here um and but yeah things that keep coming up i'm really interested in like whether um behavior drives more anxious thoughts and feelings or whether anxiety drives the behavior because it kind of gets a little bit murky. Some of the decisions I make, some of the weight, the things that I talk about or the things that I choose to do, I'm not quite sure whether I do them and it makes me anxious or whether anxiety has made me feel that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's both really. You can be anxious and then that will affect your behavior or your habits and behaviors can make you feel anxious. What you got to remember is that this is a threat response. It's a threat response that humans had for thousands of years that's never evolved since our ancestors. And it's a beautiful threat response because it makes us the most powerful predator at top of the food chain has done. Because we're not very good at fighting. We're not very good at surviving the cold or even being in the sun. 
were just very clever and cautious. So, for example, you know, imagine our ancestors walking across the Serengeti. You know, they have evolved a threat response that made them feel uneasy. And as a result, they looked up, they scanned the horizon, and alas, there's a pride alliance that, that haven't seen them yet. And the advantage of seeing a pride alliance without before they've seen you is, is astronomical. So you can choose to avoid the lions, go around, wait till they fall asleep, hunt them. You know, you avoid one-to-one -one combat. Uh, and say, you know, same with it being in the jungle, like walking through, is that a deadly snake? Well, I'm going to look up in the trees because I feel anxious. I'm walking past a cave. You know, last time we were here, there was a huge bear came out, killed one of the tribe. Okay, well, thanks to my anxious response, I'm going to keep an eye on that cave with my spear ready just in case, and it gives us such a massive advantage. But that threat response has never evolved. So when you're sat in the office, you're out for drinks with your mates, you're trying to walk through the park or hang out with your family, that same threat response is going off. It's like, just in case, just in case. I call it meerkat mode. Just in case, just in case, just in case. But here's the thing. You can turn that threat response off, but you can only do it with your behavior. You can't talk to it. There's no wiring in, in your brain. So the part, the central part of, of, of the threat response is something called the amygdala in our brain. It's a cashew-shaped piece of our brain that's very fast but very dumb. So it just, just in case you're in danger, it will trigger the, the fight flight response. So you have the adrenaline, cortisol, and all that. And very anxious people experience that quite a lot. But interestingly, what you said is that do, does our behavior keep the anxious anxiety on and keep anxious behaviors? Yes, it does. So for me, when I struggled with panic attacks, and I'll use me as an example, I would do everything in, in my power to avoid having panic attacks. But then what am I teaching my threat response? My threat response starts to think that panic itself is the pride of lions. So it thinks it's helping me. Oh, don't go there. There's danger. When there's no danger, panic attacks can't hurt you. Anxiety can't hurt you. Uh, it's very uncomfortable. It's not hurting you. Um, and so, yes, some people will stay in loops, behavior loops. So like if you're a people pleaser and you always say yes and don't say no, then your anxious response is always, you, you're thanking the, the anxious response and saying, well, yeah, thanks. You kept me safe there. So I'm going to keep saying yes. If you can't go into a shopping mall because you're scared of having anxiety, when you go to the shopping mall and your threat response is don't go in there and you're like, yeah, you're right. And don't go in. Your behavior has thanked the threat response. So the next time you go, it's going to happen. If you're someone who drives and avoids the motorway, you know, you've thanked the threat response for warning you about the motorway, yet you can do it. Um, you know, if on many in these many things, if your anxiety is saying that you're not doing enough and that your self-esteem is suffering because you're not working 12 hours a day or being productive. And then so you work 12 hours a day, you're thanking the threat response. So the next day you're going to wake up and feel anxious because you've not done 12 hours of work, you know, whereas when we do the opposite of that with our behavior and go through the discomfort, we literally rewire the brain, the neuropathways change, and the threat response actually calms down. But it's really counterintuitive. You have to go against your intuition. So for me, it was doing brave things like, well, I'm going to have to be willing to have a panic attack while walking around Manchester. I am going to sit behind the wheel of my car and, and, and be really scared. I am going to say no to people. 
I am going to take a date where I just don't do anything today and sit with that discomfort and learn to rest again, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Does your behavior, what comes first, the behavior of the anxiety? Well, it's both because they're part of the same cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like um, it takes a lot of bravery, right? to kind of recover from anxiety, to do these things, the scariest thing that you can imagine that you maybe have done before and felt a certain way to then voluntarily dip your toe in that water again. That's like, that's hard, right? It's incredible. Yeah. It's what separates us from or animals as well. It's like the ability to go against your instinct. You know, it's the, like, that's what makes humans very, very special. It's like, wow, like my instinct's telling me to avoid uh, but I can choose not to. And that's where the brain rewires itself. Uh, yeah, it's literally courage. That's why when people say you know, anxious people aren't weak, anxious people aren't cowardly, they're actually using facts, going literally against their fear response. So if you're anxious and you struggle every day and you're kind of beating yourself up about it, it's like, no, like you're literally choosing to try and access life with that threat response going off. That's literally bravery. That's literally courage. It's not me being all, you know, all soft and and, and all that. No, it's, it, that's literally what it is, you know. Um, and the fear response is the same regardless of what it is. You know, some people are terrified of spiders. Some people are terrified of, you know, going on hikes. Some people are terrified of polystyrene. It doesn't matter. The, the threat response is all the same. And, yeah, it takes a lot of courage. Mm. And a lot of... Um learning i think to kind of maybe how we see ourselves now we speak to ourselves a little bit differently right i used to kind of one of my biggest learning moments that came out of my the work that i do with my therapist is to kind of look back at um myself who started behaving in these ways with a bit of compassion right because you kind of you make these decisions you make these decisions to behave in a certain way and see these certain threats and at the time it, you you are trying to protect yourself it might be a little um you know it might be a little misplaced it might be a little incorrect but that these things are there for a reason in that moment they just don't necessarily serve us for every moment after that, right? And rather than for a long time, I saw it as like a personality thing. You know, I saw it as a, a weakness and that I was broken and I was this and I was that and all these negative terminologies. And then when that sort of uh, switch flicked to go, oh, hang on a minute, like you're actually doing really well for yourself there. It just doesn't serve you here, you know? And that's a hard lesson for people to learn, right? It's really nice to hear that as well. Compassion is a big one. And it's really nice to hear it from a fellow man to have it modeled like that way um i love compassion focus there's literally a, a therapy modality called compassion focus therapy but or any therapy that has kind of you know compassion as its main aims it is can be beautiful therapy um understanding yeah why certain behaviors we have where it comes from brain learns you know if, you, if you've grown up and been bullied then don't be surprised if you're trying to placate people but also you'll learn skills from that. So I was bullied quite a lot when I was younger, but it really helped my sense of humor. You know, it's just like, and I don't mind, and it helped me in other ways, just like kind of, yeah, it made me less scared of other things and and, and stuff. And But yeah, in general, if, 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 if you're bullied in it, or if you've grown up with some neglectful parents or absent parents or rubbish siblings or whatever, your behaviors will be influenced by that because of conditioning. So, you know, like 
if, if, if you feel like you're attention seeking, maybe just maybe you have a sibling who got an unfair amount of attention you didn't. So you feel that the only way to get value is to have the attention from authority. That's why a lot of people end up in really rubbish relationships because they're trying to fill that kind of stuff. Um, if, if you grew up in a violent household and you had to run away and hide to, to stay away from the volatility, don't be surprised if you're doing that as an adult because your brain learned that and it was helpful back then, but maybe it's not helpful now. You know, stuff like that. And um, yeah, I like that. Compa- just compassionate. Listen, you're not being soft, you're not being weak. That's just old dated terminology now that's lame. Um, it's quite boring. It's part of emotional conservatism, which is hopefully dying, um, particularly because it's not really helping anyone. Um, but yeah, like you have to be compassionate to yourself. I, I needed that to, to get better. You can't criticize yourself or military drill sergeant yourself out of a mental illness. It doesn't work. You have to learn to be kind. And that's a big, big hurdle in it. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. You can't kind of meet it, meet it head on, which is, yeah, certainly something I learned the, uh, <laughs> I learned the, the hard way, mate. Um, you mentioned your own kind of lived experience there, Josh. And when you started to, um, have to like deal with anxiety did you see it coming or was it a case of you just woke up one day with that impending sense of doom or when you look back at now i suppose through like a therapist lens do you kind of see a bit of build-up that maybe you weren't aware of at the time oh yeah mine was definitely stress induced so i i love the love the you the the jug analogy the stress jug analogy it's not necessarily original but it's one i do like um and when people ask me where does disordered anxiety come from, where does panic attacks come from and all that, often I hear, oh, panic attacks just hit me from nowhere. Uh, and initially, yeah, that's what I thought with, with with me. But actually, my stress jug had filled up. So at the time, and I remember the morning it, it happened, um, I've always been like a little bit of a worrier, but I wouldn't say I was anxious. I wasn't an anxious person. I was quite happy and content and getting on with stuff. But I was going through an extremely stressful time. Uh, I just gone through a breakup. I was a carer for my brother who was going through cancer. I had no money, just tried to kick a, a cannabis habit um, and loads of stuff. I just started a really stressful job. And I remember going to work one. Actually, I remember waking up in the morning after not much sleep, just feeling quite alert and high. I was like, that's weird. You know, usually I'd be yawning, grab my coffee, try and wake up, acclimatize to the day. And I felt like, ooh, I feel quite high. I was like, ooh, buzzing. I got loads of energy. And then I got the bus to work. Uh, I was working in a pupil referral unit, which is a school for excluded kids. And I still felt this kind of highness. I was like, all right, whatever. Walked in. Hi, everyone. You're right. Made a cup of tea in the staff room. And suddenly I, like, I was. I just looked up and I just felt what I can only describe as completely detached from myself and the room around me. And I was like, the hell is going on here? I felt like I was in the matrix. Everything felt really quite strange. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Uh, I looked at my hands. They didn't feel like mine. Um, the head teacher came in and I looked at her face and I was like, I was like clay or something. I was like, oh my God, I've broken my brain. What's gone on here? Uh, and what I was experiencing was a, a, a huge panic attack. 
which I'd never had before. Um, and also kind of a bit of a nervous breakdown because of all the stress. So all that stress, looking after a brother, new job, breakup, cannabis habit, not lack of sleep, blah, 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 was filling up the jug. And then when I was making that cup of tea, I think maybe someone startled me or I dropped the spoon and bang, that was the last drop in the jug. It overflowed. And that's when my threat response kicked in. Bang. Like, whoa. And I had a, probably about, you know, a week's worth of adrenaline kicking in at once. Loads of what ifs. Like, what if I'm going crazy? What if I'm about to have a heart attack? What if I've broken my brain? That's the big one. Um, yeah, and I, I was very, I was very ill. And I just went very pale and everyone could see it. And then I went home. I thanked the threat response at the time, looking back in hindsight. And I stayed in my room and I said, right, I'm not going to leave this room till I fix my brain and get better. But actually what I was doing was just thanking this threat response. And I was just having panic attack after panic attack after panic attack because I was afraid what was happening to me. When I found out what was happening to me, that was part of my recovery. It's like, I need to understand what's happening to me. And they're like, yeah, you're just in a cycle of fearing panic and going round and round and round and round and round and you're not doing anything you're not you're staying in your room you're enacting the cycle with your behavior but when i learned that actually this is normal it's okay these symptoms other people have um that really helped me because i was in a very lonely place extremely i thought i broke my brain i'd never really heard of never used the term anxiety and didn't know anything about it and i was so passionate you know, I got a little bit of time, I got better, you know, like just kind of pushing myself out there, encouraging myself to do things that were once easy. And then I got to a place where it's like, you know what? Yeah, I I think I'm in a, you know, I'm getting there. And I started to see improvements. So I was compassionate to myself. And then I could I could do it again. And went and thankfully work were really good with, about it as well, because they were like, wow, you know, you're a very confident person you know we didn't expect this you know i was like i know i didn't expect it either but looking back and for all the clients i see in here in this practice it, people who have that acute anxiety never comes from nowhere what i will say is genetics do play a part so the size of your stress jug is dependent on like mom and dad you know if they're anxious people then you're gonna have doesn't necessarily mean you'll be anxious but it means your tolerance to stress is a lot less than say that really annoying chilled out friend who could just really relax or anything. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you, you know you mentioned being like um, relaxed and chilled out, but I like that can also be a, a way, right? So for me, people I would describe myself as an anxious person. People would describe me as like a relaxed person, but that's my way of not engaging with stuff that scares me, right? So I just chill in the background and not get involved. And that's my way of not having to do anything scary. So it's so hard to tell, isn't it, by a person's, um, like what they're showing of themselves as to of what's going on underneath. But what really jumped out to me when you were talking there is, um, and again, like this word resilience is so like, it's such a loaded word when we talk about these things, right? But it makes me think about how resilient kind of we are as human beings, because when you were talking about all the stuff going on with your life there, that sounded like a lot, dude. But at the time we have all these things going on and we don't step back to think, man, I've taken on a lot here. You know, like we, we we don't see it, do we? We go to work. We, you know, we do all these different things that we have to do. We take it all on, take it all on, take it on. We never stop to think because it's normalized by society to do all the things. We never stop to think, hang on a minute. If I'm really breaking down my life into chunks, 
I've got a fucking lot on my plate here. But it 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 just adds up and up and up, doesn't it? Yeah. And you probably find that you're quick to admire others who can do it and see the resilience in in others. But when it comes to you, that self-talk is different. The rules change. I find that I probably still struggle with that now and then. You know, I sometimes hold myself to a different account, uh, you know, to a different level, which, you know, is actually quite egocentric if you think about it. You know, you can see other genuinely, genuinely admire the the traits of others. Like sit there and I had a client the other week who hadn't left the house for months and, you know, they finally did it. I sat there with genuinely marvel because I know how difficult that can be. But then I've got a couple of things that, you know, a couple of phobias, like flying, things like that. And I beat myself up for that, even though I've come from a long, a long way. And it's like, yeah, why, why, I wouldn't ever say that. Jenny wouldn't, wouldn't even feel that towards other people. And yet, yeah, it's different to how we do it. And I think sometimes you've got to remind yourself, you know, and take that compassion to do that i don't think it's being selfish or self-centered but it's like actually doing a bit of um doing a bit of work on yourself because to make yourself make sure that you're all right because if you're not all right then other people don't benefit either and but more importantly you don't so, so it's like yeah um yeah the compassion resilience um you know the the words that particularly from the social media sphere, feel a bit feel a bit desensitized to, but they're really important, particularly taken at their literal definition. Mm, yeah. You can't underestimate the power of small wins, mum. You know, I I kind mm. of work in the in the rehab space, right? So my work's more around like physical pain. And something I always work with my clients is it's like, well, let's get some small wins and we'll stack them up. And if you stack up enough small wins, they turn into a big one. And we shouldn't overlook that with any type of recovery, right? It's the, we're always focused on the thing that we can't do. We never stop and look at, hang on, there's stuff I couldn't do six months ago. And I do it every day now and I don't even think. But it's like, as soon as we tick that box, it's like, oh yeah, nice one. Anyway, on to the next. What's the more stuff I'm rubbish at? You know, just like yeah. seeking it out. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly how I think sometimes about myself. And yet quite here's the, you know, the therapist hypocrisy of like genuinely feel like the people sat on the sofa opposite me. You shouldn't do that. Um, yeah. I'm not like that all the time. It depends really. Some, some months I'm very happy with myself and I'll do that. And you know what it's like, I think probably coincides with the stress jug or other things going on in your life. And you know, that can flip, that can flip between. Uh, um, yeah. So what I was going to say now something quite it'll come back to me in a minute or probably at 2am yeah. when I'm like oh I should have said that Tom <laughs> <laughs> always the way it's that 2am man that's yeah. the time isn't it the classic time yeah um, so how did you um how did you go about um getting out of your bedroom then Josh you know like it so yeah we're looking for opportunities to challenge this anxiety but did you have anything alongside that was there a particular type of therapy or did you go to medication route or what what worked for you in that instance um, yeah, I, I didn't like my medication um, because I didn't feel I was depressed uh, and because I was anxious, I was more than more anxious about what the medication was going to do to me. Was it going to make my brain worse or better or whatever? So I didn't do that. Uh, I didn't have the I don't feel like I had the appropriate treatment at the time. Um, I discovered the works of like Dr. Claire Weeks. I read a book by a guy called Paul David. Uh, uh, and they were just talking about these symptoms that no one else had explained to me. And bear in mind, this was in 2000 and 
12. So the internet and stuff wasn't full of lots of stuff. You know, it took a lot of trolling. Now, you know, you type in derealization and you've got thousands of pages on it. Wasn't there wasn't much stuff like that when I was struggling. And I know because I trolled the internet trying to find the answers. Um, and when I started to learn about what was actually happening, I found that so powerful. So I love psychoeducation. So it was saying to me, like, you know, when you leave your bedroom and go down the garden path, you will feel scared. You will feel your heart pound. You will feel dizzy. You will think your lights will feel brighter. Your your thoughts will race and you'll have all these catastrophic images in your head. That's supposed to happen because what you've done is you've taught the brain that the outside is now dangerous. So your brain's actually trying to look after you, but now you need to show it that this isn't dangerous. And actually science and physiology are on your side because that horrible, scary feeling doesn't last forever. It's physiologically impossible for your body to maintain that. So if you go and just let the feelings hit you and you've not run away or done any safety behaviors, you teach the amygdala the threat response. See, it's not dangerous. And then the amygdala remembers that it's not dangerous. You know, if you think of any phobia, imagine... You know, my mate Max, when he was a kid, he was bitten by a dog and he developed such a strong phobia that he wouldn't even walk to school or watch the TV or even have his window open just because he could hear a barking dog because his threat response were like, well, well, that's dangerous. And quite rightly so. It's trying to look after him like dogs are dangerous now. But obviously not all dogs are dangerous. So Max rewired his brain by slowly you know, go, looking at pictures of dogs, standing in the park near dogs, eventually stroking a small dog, then stroking a big dog. And then two months later, he had his own dog from completely not being able to do it because he's taught the amygdala, the threat response, that this is no longer this. Now, the threat response is a wonderful thing because guess what? Real threats exist. You know, if you've got a, if you're around someone dangerous, you know, your threat response will make you feel scared. Good, because you don't want to be engaged with that danger. But in general, when the threat response is going off in a disordered way, you're like, I don't really want this going off here. You've got to show it. And the more I did that, little wins, like you said, that my scariest thing I've ever done, and I've done conventionally scary stuff, spoke in front of thousands and uh, rafted down the Zambezi River and all these things. But the scariest thing I've ever done was going to Asda to pick up five things. Because I thought I was having thoughts like, oh, what if I go crazy? Or what if I push it too far and I break my brain? And my heart, I have a heart attack. What if I faint? What if I collapse? What if I do all these things? And I was like, no, these things are supposed to happen now. You can do it. You can tolerate it. Because if you can tolerate it, the brain rewires itself. By the end of the shop, I went from a 9, 10 out of 10 anxious to 4. So I wasn't completely calm. But I was like, oh, wow, I'm not panicking now. I'm and then I did it again. I went to Asda the day after. And actually, I only went up to a six. Then it came down to a three. And then I went again. And I was like, actually, I'm walking in. I'm, a, I'm only a three now. And by the end of it, I wasn't even anxious at all. Because I knew because I was texting and, and I forgot what I was doing. My threat response had turned off. So I had proof that this is something that works. Exposure therapy works for anxiety because it's literally rewiring your brain. It's one of the only, um, in my opinion, therapies that work for that type of anxiety because the amygdala you can't speak to it so there's no point 
talking to your anxiety, self-soothing with mantras and all this stuff. It's okay to talk to yourself to encourage yourself through difficulties, of course. But if you're trying to directly talk to the anxiety, like, mm, turn off now, turn off vagus nerve, activate, do all these things, it's not doing anything, mate, you know, because there's no wiring. There's no wiring from your cognitive thinking brain to the amygdala. But there is wiring the other way. So the amygdala is wired to the thinking brain. So the only way to rewire the amygdala is to activate it and don't avoid and take away your safety behaviors. And it literally rewires itself. It's it's, it's magnificent. It, yeah. uh, I see people in here do stuff that they thought they'd never be able to do because that's how you do it. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's really, really incredible. Is there anything that you kind of like recommend um, alongside uh, you know, exposure therapy, talking therapy, whatever, but stuff that we can do day to day. So like, I'm thinking it amazes me, always amazes me the amount of people that um, I speak to and they talk about having like really, really bad anxiety. And then they'll also tell you that they drink like 20 cups of coffee a day. Right. So like, I know <laughs> if I over caffeinate, that sets me off. Right. So I have to limit my caffeine consumption. I know if I, if I'm up in the night with the kids the next day, I'm, I wake up rattling. These are all things that affect me. Is there, are there like, are there sort of common things that you recommend to people just to keep an eye on day to day that are going to set these things off? Yeah, kind of and not. So if, if you have a fear of fear, if you fear being anxious uh, and you are non-anxious, you would like to drink four cups of coffee a day and for non-anxious, you has drank four cups of coffee a day you've got to be careful of micro avoidances. So, I mean, talking about if you're absolutely smashing coffee, yeah, come on, common sense, you know, (laughs) but, but let's, but let's say you're reducing that intake. Uh, I I don't want to drink another coffee because I don't want to feel anxious. I must get eight hours sleep because I don't want to feel anxious. I won't go out and have a few wines or beers with, with, with my friends because I don't want to feel anxious in the morning. Um, that's actually a bit of avoidance. So what you're actually saying, signaling to the brain there is, I don't like anxiety, it's bad. Now, now don't get me wrong, if, you, if you're bouncing off the walls and you've got jitters because you've had so much caffeine, then yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on. But what you find there is, and this is what I did as well, is that I started to do little avoidances because I didn't like feeling anxious. And each time I did that, I was teaching the brain, anxiety is dangerous. And it started very subtly, particularly with agoraphobia. Like I'd avoid going on. It started, I'd avoid going on the fast lane and the motorway. Then it was, I'm avoiding motorways. Yeah. I avoid getting drunk. I'll go down to four, four cans, three cans. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying alcohol is good for you, but like non-anxious, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of what would non-anxious you do. Yeah. And don't avoid that. Yeah. And, uh, because if you avoid that, What's your amygdala learning? It's going, hold on, we're slowly avoiding here. Um, so, like I said, practice what I preach when you get people here, like people obsessed with their sleep. You know, if I get to sleep now, I'll have six hours. If I get to sleep now, I'll have five hours. Oh my God, now it's four, now I'm going to have three hours. What they're actually saying is, what if I get anxious because I've not had enough sleep? So then what I say is, right, tonight, purposely have no sleep. What? Stay up all night. What? Because you need to teach the brain that nothing bad happens. And they're always functional. They'll always go to work. They'll do that. Like, actually, it's amazing. I had no sleep, but, you know, I was groggy, but I could actually function. 
Uh, I was like, yeah, of course you can. And then so it takes away the fear of, well, who cares? I can sleep, regard. I can function regardless of this. Uh, and it's the same. So I get asked this question a lot. It's a good question. Like, what can we do to reduce anxiety? Don't fear it. Do the opposite of what it wants you to do. And then look at your stress jug. Actually, what I, I'm more concerned about reducing stress than avoiding anxiety. So if you're really stressed, you know, have boundaries. You know, like kind of if you're still on your laptop at eight o'clock at night, let's close it. Have a strict boundary there. You know, um, if you are perhaps drinking a bit too much or whatever, you know, then limit that. Have some boundaries there too. If you want, you feel too guilty from time to yourself, make sure you have time to yourself. You know, whether you've got kids or not, you, you can have time to yourself. You know, I hear that a lot from parents in here. Oh, I can't have time to myself, you know, I'm a single parent. But I was like, you know, have they got a grandma? Like, yeah, well, well there you go. Dump my grandma for a bit. You know, that, that kind of thing. And even for the people that are just single parents and have kids and don't have anyone else, it's like when they go to bed, send them to bed half an hour earlier and you have half an hour to yourself. Have a bath, do something. It's really uh, kind of um, important. So yeah, look on your stress management, but never avoid stuff because you don't want to be anxious. Yeah. You know, that, Mate, that's, yeah. I've just had a little light bulb moment there, to be honest, Josh. I think like yeah. um, quite often with like uh, managing things, um, although it's like, you know, a positive way, but I suppose it's, it's almost like a, um, a hidden enabling behavior, right? So under the guise of doing something positive or actually doing something that's maybe not positive in the yeah, like, like what that's really interesting yeah like, but like, yeah like keeping it i have to um i've like not strict rules that makes me sound like i'm completely inflexible but i have to keep my life running in a certain way um, why? because if um <laughs> because if i take on too much how i like to describe it right is that i try and keep my life at 80 percent ticking over 80%. And then if something happens, I've got 20% to absorb it. Um, I used to live my life at 100% and then stuff happened and I broke, you know, um, and I, it took me sort of four years of, of work to uh, even get to a point where I could kind of talk about it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm always playing with this idea, this idea of kind of, uh, I don't know, I think when you've been to like a really, really dark place, you can kind of there's always that fear, isn't there, that you'll go back. You don't to want it. to go back there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the one that, that fear. It's one of the core fears of all anxiety disorders. What if I end back end up at square one? Do I say, well, that's impossible because what you know now, you can't unlearn. Part of the reason why the first time was so scary was that you probably didn't know what was happening. It was all very new. Yeah, the jug overflowed and you probably mixed in with some depression and stuff like that. And yeah, but you can't go back there because particularly with nervous breakdowns and anxiety, it's just like you, it's like saying, what if I forget how to ride a bike? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and don't get me wrong. You might, you know, I've not ridden a bike for years, but if I got on one, I'd be a bit rusty, but I can't, you can't unlearn it unless you take a huge blow to the head. You know, you can't unlearn it. And so what I say to people is that, it is a safety behavior in the sense that, you know, an understandable one. I don't want to feel like that again because it was the worst time of my life. It was horrible, stuff like that. Yeah. But at the same time, remember that you, you cope with it at your lowest and you won't feel that low again, you know, because of what you know about your body, your mind, stuff like that. 
yes, keep 20% back for you. That's okay. But it depends on why are you doing, are you keeping 20% back for you? Because, you know, uh, I need that energy just in case the kids need something or whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Or are you doing it because I'm utterly petrified that I'll be in a grim place again. Um, and it's a bit like, well, you can cope regardless and always have, you know, so just, yeah, it's just striking the right balance without knowing more, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, but like, it's yeah. about, it's about striking the right balance. Uh, one of the, my favorite questions I ask, though, and I'll, I'll ask it to you on, on your own podcast, is this that, and anyone who's listening, is that if I stuck you in a room, sat you on a chair with no distractions, really boring room, uh, no phone or anything, just sat there alone with your thoughts for one hour doing nothing, uh, how would that make you feel? <laughs> that would be my idea of hell for an hour. Yeah. And that's the problem because mm. you've never learned the skill of stopping. And that's what I do to people. Like, do two people? Like, get in that room, get in that <laughs> cell. Uh, no, no, no. But like, it's, um, it's, you, you've don't know, you've never learned how to stop. So you don't actually know how to regulate your nervous system because most people will say, oh, I'll feel guilty or I need to feel productive or something. I just don't like how I feel when I stop. Well, you're, st well, you're fearing anxiety then, you're fearing discomfort. And so I need to feel productive. And you know you're that you're that kind of person when you're going around saying, I should do this, I should do that. You've got interminable to-do lists. And you that's never finished. You're the kind of person that just this is never finished. You, you fit, ticked off 10 in a day and 10 more have arrived. And there's just stuff on there you don't even need to do. You know, like learn Mandarin, stuff like that. Like you don't need to do that stuff. Just to like learn stop. So at the top of this list, and if it applies to you at home, like learn to stop, like that. So the other day, I felt guilty and I had loads of stuff to do. So I did the opposite. Taught the amygdala, no. I went and bought that Harry Potter game and I was just going around whipping spells at people for all afternoon. And I had stuff to do, but actually felt really good at the end of it. And I went in with a clearer mind. I was like, oh, that's nice. So now, now I'm back and I feel fresher now. So, so yeah. um, it's important. Want to see. It is, mate. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. No, it's certainly given me a lot to, to think about there, mate. Um, it's got a, one more thing I wanted to touch on, mate, because we're coming sort of towards the end of this chat. But um, I always think of when we talk about mental health and mental illness, the kind of like what I call them the poster children of mental health is like anxiety and depression, right? That's kind of like the most common things. Is there anything that you see in, in your work and um, everything that you've done over the years? Why are anxiety and depression so closely linked? Why do they seem to go hand in hand? Um, it's it's really common, isn't it, that people seem to struggle with both? Yes, a lot of people struggle with both. Um, it's it's possible to a lot of people have them separately as well. Um, one can influence the other, so I could be depressed and lacking in motivation and have having dark thoughts, which then could give me anxiety. So, like, oh, you know, I didn't realize my brain could go there. I could have anxiety about being depressed. And what I hear a lot is fear of depression. What if things get so bad that I get depressed and lose control and kill myself? I hear that a lot. Um, but that's, that's actually mostly anxiety. Um, I've been anxious for so long and agoraphobic that that's, I've become depressed as a result of that because I can't access home comforts or, or the routine of my usual life. Um, I'm just coincidentally depressed and anxious. So I've been put down a lot in my life, bullied, abused, neglected, been a victim of domestic violence. 
then one, I'm not going to have a very good high self-concept. So that's fuel for depression. And I'm also going to be anxious because that stuff conditioned my threat response to be alert. So I need to work on both here, you know. Um, and, and, you know, and if you've been treated like crap by someone for a long time, particularly someone that you love or you feel like you love or infatuated with, or you felt like you couldn't live without, then you'd most likely internalize a lot of those messages. You know, if someone's calling you a piece of shit over and over again, some of that will will will, will see through into, into your overall self-concept. Um, maybe there's just genetic factors as well. You know, some people just can just get depression um, genetic, you know, genetically. Uh, but mostly I think it comes from self-esteem, how you see yourself. I take the Carl Rogers view of what should I be and what do I think I am? And if they're separated, if they're far apart, that's the a big kind of opportunity to be depressed and anxious. Um, yeah, they can intertwine. They can either be related, not related. One can influence the other. You don't know. And I think the prevalence is high is because it can be any of those. Um, I've been depressed and anxious at once, but they were both actually quite separate. One was because I was grieving and the other was because I feared anxiety and I was stressed and I was in this horrible cycle, you know, um, but it depends. And as a therapist, I sit here and, and kind of, you know, I need to know that I need to know what's what, because it's not just, you know, Oh, you're depressed and anxious. Here's some sertraline on your way. Sometimes it's understanding what's, what, what's, what, what's going on. So, yeah. 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 And then it's about, I suppose, you know, making those, those changes, isn't it? Those environmental changes that's going to, um, you know, make the biggest difference, isn't it? Really, yeah. Yeah, yeah little changes yeah. help. Mm. Mate, I've enjoyed that immensely. It certainly went to a few places I wasn't expecting to. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today, mate. I really enjoyed chatting to you. It's lovely to meet you. No, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on to Proper Mental. I can't wait to uh, listen to it back. Um, and thanks for doing what you do as well. It's really nice to have um, other people, and particularly, particularly a man as well, talking about it and stuff in a tasteful way um with self-disclosure honesty and, and an intrigue so yeah thank you very much oh mate no thank you for that i kind of always think you know i don't want to like turn it into the me show and talk all about me but at the same time i kind of think like if i'm thinking something you know it's my job to ask the question right because if i'm thinking it loads of other people are thinking it so that's kind of my uh my, yeah. my role in it you know getting but, the uh, balance getting the balance right yeah, yeah um or if anyone if if, if what we've said today resonates with you um just i'm anxiety josh or joshua fletcher just you can find me i'm just type in anxiety josh and you'll be like oh yeah that guy's talking about panic attacks or whatever just yeah it's there yeah super i'll put all the links to everything you do in the uh in the episode notes and i'll, I'll mention it all in the intro as as well that'll pop on afterwards so uh yeah i'm off to go and smash 15 coffees and see what happens mate yeah nothing apart from you bouncing <laughs> off the walls all right uh i'm gonna go drive in the in the in the ice so yeah, there we go. Big up to that proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>